Let's pray. Father God, just thank you so much for today. Just thank you that, uh, I say it every week, but thank you that you've brought us here, that you've, by whatever ways, for whatever reasons that we think we're here, Father God, just thank you that you have brought us here, that you have just, just graciously drawn us um, into a place where we can, we can worship you, we can bring whatever it is that we have, Father, and just put it down and say that you are enough. I pray, Father, this morning that we would just, that you would just open our hearts, that, that whatever barriers there might be, whatever barriers to fully just grasping the gospel, that, that those would just be torn down, that, that you would work in a, in a way that would just point only to you and to your glory. Father, allow these words to be yours and just, just speak through your words. Speak through just your precious word. Make Jesus so real to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and flip to Matthew 13. I realize that we're on pace to almost get exactly halfway through Matthew come the end of the year, which will be exactly one year in Matthew, which is kind of cool. And we're only halfway. So we've talked about Jesus and his various... Sorry, I feel like there's all sorts of... That's you. Okay, that was fun. Okay, so we've talked about Jesus' various teaching ministries. He's been teaching. He's been, we've seen some narrative in Matthew, and now we're kind of getting back into some teaching of Jesus. And we'll see that he starts to use a, a method that's a little bit different, that people are kind of saying, wait, what do you mean by this? And I was kind of thinking about various teachers that I've had that you kind of wonder, like, I don't quite get this teacher. I don't get the way they're teaching by whether it be their methods or their ability to teach. And we, we struggle to understand. I'm sure you guys have all had some sort of teacher that you struggle to understand. Johnny, before you think too much, remember who's in the room. And anyways, um, but there's teachers that we struggle to understand. And you'll see that Jesus is going to begin to use a method of teaching that causes people to come to him and say, why are you teaching like this? What are you teaching? And these are the parables. A lot of people have heard, if you've been in a church any length of time, even a couple times, you've heard reference to the parables of Jesus. And we're going to start with the first one here today. It's a parable of the sower. Like I mentioned, Jesus has been, we saw kind of his early life, and then we went through the Sermon on the Mount. It took us a couple months to get through that in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. In those chapters, Jesus was teaching about what does it mean to be a follower of me? What does radical obedience mean? One thing we kept coming back to was that Jesus wanted so much more than just our external actions. Jesus didn't want just our, our mere obedience to, to, to actions or to... Um, the various things we talked about. He said, love your enemies. 
He, said, he talked about divorce. He talked about being salt and light. He talked about all sorts of things. But at the end of it, we said, he's not talking about just mere obedience, but he's talking about he wants your heart. He wants you to love him and be, and be surrendered to him with your heart, not just with your actions. And they said, you must be, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And we see the, the difficulty in that, but also the call to be perfect as our heavenly father is perfect. Then we saw Jesus with some miracles. He, he did some healings. He did some awesome, amazing things. And then in Matthew 10, he also said, okay, now I'm getting, now he went back into teaching. And he taught the disciples. He sent them out. He said, you're going to go into the world and be salt. You're going to be light. You're going you're to tell people about me. He talked about what, what, does it mean to be, what does it mean to be on mission? Through persecution, through difficulties, through, through families turning on families. And he said that as you're doing this, as you're going, you're becoming more and more like Jesus. Tanner talked about that being the sanctification process. The teacher, or the, the students, the disciples, are made more like their teacher through sanctification. That we're, we're made to be more like Jesus. And then we've seen the last couple of weeks that Jesus did some, He taught some. He, he, he healed a man with a withered hand. And now, we're, now he's jumping into Matthew 13. It talks about parables. And I've always, I've always heard about parables, and I was like, always kind of knew what their purpose was, but didn't actually know exactly what are parables. And I read this week that parables are basically a real-life story that people are going to understand, they're going to be able to connect with, but have a much deeper meaning. As we'll see with this one, people in this region, people in Midwest... Illinois are going to get this, and Missouri, um, are going to, they really connect, and there's farmers around here, I know, but that's a real life example, but it's, mean to, it's meant to tell so much more than just about planting seeds, just about sowing seeds, and it's a, and it's a method that Jesus is going to use to teach his disciples, to those following him, what it really means to follow him. We're going to start out just with verses 1 through 9 in Matthew 13. They should be up. If not, we have Bibles um, back there. Please, by all means, use one. Verse 1. That same day, Jesus went out, of the crowd, went out of the house and sat down beside the sea. And great crowds gathered around him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell on the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. So before we go too much further, this passage I've heard taught kind of two different ways. Often we say that, okay, as the church, as we go out sowing the gospel, as we go out planting gospel seeds, as we go out telling people about Jesus, 
Jesus is teaching about different ways people are going to respond. The way that different people are going to be caused to respond when they hear this message. And I totally think that's a wonderful, accurate application of these verses. What I want to do is kind of challenge you to do that other side. Whereas, we're going to try to put ourselves in the place of the soil. Okay? We've got a variety of people in this room. We've got people from different backgrounds, different cultures, different races, different jobs, different genders. We're very different. And I know that we're also different in terms of where we are in our relationship with Christ. Where we are in terms of our own walk. And what I want to do is to challenge us, as we see there's, there's very distinct ways that Jesus says, this is what's going to happen when you hear the gospel. We've always said it demands a response. There's always a response. But it is, what is that response? So even if you're in here claiming to be a Christian, I challenge you to still listen to these four and see, where am I? Where has the gospel taken root? How has the gospel taken root in my life? Hopefully this will make more sense as we go. I also don't want us to jump ahead because until as of right now, a lot of you having grown up in church, you already know how Jesus is going to explain this, the parable. We know how he's going to go on a couple verses and explain that. But if we're original, we're, if we're hearing this for the very first time, I want to challenge you to act like you haven't read the rest of it. For some of you, this isn't going to be impossible because you have. For others, this is going to be a reality because you really don't know what's coming next. And I just don't want us to jump too hard, just too far ahead and say, yes, I, I know what's coming next. I know how Jesus, what he's going to say. And I know what that means. Because as of right now, all he said is that there's a sower went and sowed some seeds. He's talking about a sower. He's talking about seeds. He's talking about farming. And with a parable, he said, he tells a real-life example that people are going to connect with. Yeah, all that makes sense. That whole parable, what he has said so far, it makes sense in terms of farming. But, but what does it mean? I'm going to read just a little bit more in Matthew 13. I'm going to go 10 through 15. I don't know if I broke it up like this. Sorry, Christina. It says, When the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they shall see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and I would heal them. These people aren't understanding what Jesus is saying. He's been teaching all through Matthew, about what it means to be a follower. 
and people aren't understanding what this means. I'm glad that Tanner pointed out a couple weeks ago. Actually, Tanner pointed out that I pointed out a couple weeks ago. Um, in 1 Corinthians 2.14, it says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. People aren't going to understand this. They don't have the eyes to see this. There's some people, you, we can say, the, we can tell them the gospel time and time and time again until God opens their hearts, until God gives them the ability to understand. We cannot make them understand. We can't use magic words. We can't use crafty language. We can't explain it. Until God allows them to understand, they're not going to understand. And especially with here in Matthew 13, I read a quote by John MacArthur. It says, An unexplained parable was nothing but an impossible riddle whose meaning could only be guessed at. These natural people that Jesus, that, that Paul talked about in Corinthians, you have a natural heart not opened up. You're not able to understand unless God allows you to. And you see, though, that even though the disciples, he explained it to the disciples as well, but those who Jesus was drawing to him came to him to ask, what does this mean? All the others we've seen in various instances with the Pharisees, they go away grumbling. They go away saying that this guy is doing the work of the devil. Don't come to him for answers. They go away upset. And it's really, it's not surprising there's probably one passage I've used probably 10 times since I've, the short time I've been preaching, and we're going to go a little different route, but 2 Corinthians 2.4. Oh, sorry, I wrote this wrong. 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. It says, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. People are not going to understand this. That's what Jesus is saying. It says, to you, has been, to you it has been given to know the secret of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. We don't just decide to believe this. We don't just decide to understand the gospel one day. This is God saying, I want you to understand this. I'm allowing you to understand this. I'm going to change you by this message, by the gospel. And the only difference between those people that believe, the only difference between Christians and non-Christians is in verse 6. We're going to skip a verse to 2 Corinthians 2.6. It says, For God, who said, Light shine out of the darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That is the only difference. The only difference between believers and unbelievers is that God has shown in their hearts to give them the knowledge of Jesus. That God has done that. It's not that those who believe in Jesus have chosen to believe to the point where they're like, okay, yeah, that's what I want. Because we're incapable to do that. This is that God has shown in our hearts. And Jesus is going to continue to explain that. Because the, the disciples, you'll notice, they come to him and say, why are you speaking to them in parables? 
Wouldn't it be a lot easier if you just jumped to the second part? That we, have, that we haven't even read yet. Wouldn't it be easier if you did that? Why are you speaking in parables? And I think what's really cool is that those that Jesus has opened their eyes, these disciples, and it's pro- at least the 12, possibly more here, of those that come to him seeking further understanding, seeking answers. He says that, see, I, I taught in a way that caused you to come to me for more answers. You came to me. For those that don't understand, he could write it in the sky with clouds and they're not going to understand it. It's not going to make sense to them. It says because they do not see. And hearing, they do not hear. They hear it, the words, they hear the words, but they don't understand. This is something Isaiah had, had, had prophesied. That's what Jesus actually quotes from Isaiah. It says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's hearts have grown dull. With their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. See that it's been given. He tells the disciple, it's been given to you the ability to know this. It's been given. Another example that salvation is a gift that's been given, not something that we've obtained by our own, by our own efforts or by our own anything. And he says, to those that have, more will be given. You, can, you see that that, that, sancti- that word sanctification, that becoming more like Jesus, that once your heart has been opened, once you say, yeah, Jesus is all that I want. That once Jesus has opened your heart to realize that, you aren't changed by God and then left to do the rest yourself. If you look, at the, if you look through Scripture, it says that, that that work, that sanctification process is God's work. It's not ours. It says that, that He will bring it to completion. But that's not us. And, and Jesus is saying to His disciples, The more you hear, the more you understand, the more you're made like me. The more that you you see these things that he's teaching about what it means to be a follower, the more that they're transformed to be like Jesus. Not, not, Not identically, but are turned more and more like Jesus. On the flip side of this, it kind of goes the other way too. It says... For the, but the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is the verse that I was like, I don't really know. I'm just going to skip that and not talk about it, um, which I did the first time I read through it. Um, but he points back to Isaiah, and he says that he's always said that people are going to hear and they're going to see, but they're not really going to see and they're not really going to hear. There's a lot of people that are going to hear it, hear it up here, but it never changes their heart. And something that Tanner, back in probably Matthew 5 or 6, I don't even know when this was exactly, but he said, the gospel is the absolute best news for those that believe. Best news in the world. Saving from the wrath of God. Being made into the likeness of Jesus. The gospel is the most beautiful message in the world. 
for those that reject the message, we've said there's no middle ground, there's no neutral, there's no, there's no impartiality. Uh, there's, you either accept this message or you reject it. You either believe it or you don't. There's no middle ground. And he said, for those that reject the message, for those that reject the gospel, the gospel is the worst possible message they could ever hear. Right? Because the, this message that they're rejecting is the same message that's saying that they're on a path that, it, that leads to eternal separation from God. That they're on a path that leads to hell. Because the more and more they reject God, the more and more that's the path they're on. For them, it's the worst possible message. Because they're being told that Jesus, he's saying that, that, that I'm the only way. That's the only way. If you're living for me, that's the only way. The, the more that you live for yourself, the more that you try to live for the world, the more you're chasing that, you can't chase both. That doesn't, that's not how it works. For those that have had their hearts open, that's why we always, I find myself praying this a lot during church, outside of church, but like open hearts to believe the gospel message because we can say whatever we want from up here, but until God opens the minds, opens the hearts of people, we've got nothing. Salvation is God's work. And we don't stay the same. As a result of this message, you don't hear the gospel and remain the same. You, don't, you aren't changed by the gospel and remain the same. Obviously changed, you don't remain the same. That makes sense, right? Like the gospel changes you. But he's teaching in a way that is causing people to come to him. He's teaching in a way that, that even the disciples, it, obviously the way he explains it, some of them were probably puzzled. Some of them are like, I don't quite get this. But the point is where they went for the answers. Even though, even like theological scholars and people that are experts at the Bible have questions. It's not like they've got it all figured out. There's still, there's ongoing conversations about what does this really mean? So it's not that you never have questions. But like we talked a couple weeks ago, it's, it's where do you go for the answers? In verse 16 and 17, he says, Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and do not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. There have been people all through the Old Testament longing to see the Messiah, longing for the Messiah to come. All throughout the Old Testament. Read through the Psalms, read through the prophets. People longing for the Messiah. And he's saying that, you've got me, I'm here. You're hearing me teach. You're hearing the things that I'm commanding. Blessed are you. Because Jesus is there in front of them teaching. It's no longer them just waiting for, for this, this Messiah to come. It's no longer them waiting for that, but he's there. It's kind of like, kind of, that extends to us because Jesus has come. We have the entire word. For those that, that have been changed by Christ, it says that we have the author of the word living inside of us. 
Like, blessed are you. Because it's been given, you've been given the opportunity to know. You've been given the opportunity to understand and be changed. But the same, the same thing, the same message that says, like, if you understand, praise God that, that the gospel has changed you. But he, but he goes further. I'm going to read Matthew 18 through 23. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when the tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. What we have is Jesus explaining, explaining this parable that he taught. He's explaining it to the disciples who have come to him and said, what does this mean? And, he's, and he says, obviously, if you read this and compare it to the first, to the actual parable that Jesus told, we see that the seed, is, it said, is the word of the kingdom. The seed is the gospel, the, the gospel message of Jesus. And just to clarify, the, the, as any farmer would know, the soil itself does not produce a crop. The soil itself, you can water it, you can fertilize it, you can do whatever you want to the soil. But with no seed, there's going to be absolutely no change. The, the, the farmer doesn't make the seed, the farmer plants the seed. But if anything happens, if anything grows, if anything changes, it's because of the seed that has been planted. And Jesus is saying, the gospel, this, this message of the kingdom, people aren't changed without the gospel. If the gospel is the seed, there's no change apart from this. Hearts aren't changed. Hearts aren't open. There's no salvation outside of this. That's why this seed is so important here. That we don't, we don't have control over this. This is God. God causes the seed to grow. He commands us to plant seeds, but we, don't do, we, don't, we have nothing to do with the growth of that. That is God's. And this is something that I don't think we do often here. We don't. I want to guard against ever assuming that we're all on the same page with what this seed is talking about. What is the gospel? What, we keep talking about the message of the kingdom. And it's really easy to assume that we're all on the same page. But I don't want to. In a couple of moments, I just want to like lay out what we're talking about here. Lay out the gospel. What is the seed that's being planted? What is it that is causing change, that, is, that, is, that, is God, that God is using to open hearts, to transform lives? What is salvation? 
The Bible says that each person, each one of us, living dead to live in the future, is full of sin, is full of wickedness, is an absolute mess, deserving the utmost wrath from God. That God being perfect, God being holy, with a perfect plan, a perfect will for the world, and yet each single person, every person to walk on this earth, has completely rebelled against him and chosen to live their way. To live in a way that, that God says, that's not, my, that's not what I told you. That's not, that's not what I commanded. And yet each one of us has chosen to live in a different way. Even our good works, even these things we say, look, I'm a good person. Even those are completely rooted in pride. And we're unable to do good. The Bible says we are unable to do good. And that we deserve, the Bible says that we deserve wrath. We deserve ultimate wrath that, that leads to eternal separation from God. That means hell. Because of our sin, because of what we've done, because of our rejection of God and who He is, we deserve death. But when God, probably the most awesome words in all the Bible, but God, but when God stepped in, sent his son to die in our place, lived a life that we could not live, live a perfect life with no sin, and yet was still murdered, was still killed, was still killed for our sin, for something that we could never die because we're sinful. We could never die that death to atone for our sin. But Jesus did. Jesus came, lived, died, rose, conquered sin, conquered death on our behalf. That is why it's called the gospel. That's why it's called good news. Because for us, we have gotten absolutely zero hope apart from that. The Bible says we are wicked. We can do no good. Completely helpless. Completely incapable to save ourselves. God says, if you would just have faith, if you would believe that this and this alone not only forgives you from your sin, but saves you from the wrath of God, that you are made into a family. That, that's what Tanner talked about last week. You're made into a family because of what Jesus has done, all by a plan of God, not by ours. But that if we would just trust that, stop trying to do it ourselves, stop trying to fix ourselves, stop trying to be better people, Stop trying to merely just give up the bad things we're doing. We're not just trying to stop drinking. We're not just trying to stop gambling. We're not just trying to stop doing drugs. We're not just trying to stop looking at bad things on the computer. We're not just trying to stop. But we're saying, God, I want you to change me. I want you to replace all of that with yourself. You're all I want. I'm letting go of absolutely everything else. We, we lay down our own agendas. We lay down our own our own desires, our worldly desires that, that want the things of this world because we can't hold on to both. We don't hold on to Jesus with one hand and everything else on the other. We hold on to Jesus with both. And the gospel is a message that doesn't say that we're fixing ourselves. The gospel says you can't fix yourselves, but God is going to do it for you. We don't fix ourselves. And we said there's no neutral with this. You either, you either believe this or you don't. There's no sitting on the fence. There's no neutral. There's no, I, I don't know. You reject it or you believe it. There's really no other option here. 
but there's always a response. That is the gospel that he's talking about here. This is that seed. This is the thing that's changing lives is being described here. That Jesus goes on to explain. And he kind of uses four different things with that and says, that one of these four ways is how you're going to respond. I just want to go through one by one and look at what, what does that mean? What does it mean to, for, the, for Satan to come and snatch it away? What does it mean for thorns to, to choke it out? Let's go verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. This is the person that doesn't understand the gospel, that has been blinded to the, to, the, to the things in this world. This is the person that has been blinded by the God of this world, has been blinded by Satan and unable to understand. This is the natural person as described in 1 Corinthians. They're unable to understand the gospel unable to understand the gospel. This is why we as a church have to absolutely be praying for God to open hearts. Because we don't do that part. We can't do that part. But for those that don't understand, for those that don't believe the gospel, we have to be praying for those people. We have to be praying that, that God would work in their lives in a way that they under, not, only, not merely just understand and get the head knowledge, but that that would penetrate to the heart, that our hearts would be changed. This is why, hopefully, if you're here, I hope you hear the gospel in the songs. I hope you hear the gospel from the, from the plywood stage. I hope you hear the gospel over conversations at lunch. I hope you hear the gospel time and time again because it's the only thing that's going to have the power to change lives. That's God. That's not us. but we're called to share it. And if that's you, remember, we're talking about if you're in the place of the, the soil, if that's you, I just, if, you hear, if you're some other reason, you don't care about the gospel, you're here for lunch, you're here for conversation, you're here for anything else, know that we're glad to eat lunch with you. We're happy to eat lunch with you. We're happy to have conversations with you, but we want so much more. We want the gospel to be the thing that is actively changing your life, and that's why we keep talking about it, because that's the only thing that matters, more than the food, more than the conversation, more than anything else that we can do. Verse 20 and 21. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. I think we see this so often. Not necessarily just here, but just in the church in general. People that they hear everything the gospel has to offer. They hear that, oh, no more hell? Absolutely, sign me up. Oh, that God's going to give me good things? Absolutely, I want that. 
You receive it with joy. They jump all in. Sometimes that lasts for two weeks, sometimes for ten weeks, sometimes for ten years. But as soon as anything gets difficult, as soon as there's someone that says, oh, you need to commit, you need to, you need to, to serve in something that's difficult, you need, there's, a, there's some difficulty that comes to being labeled a Christian. Those people are gone. They have no root. They understood it in their head, but they never, they never understood that heart change. Their hearts were never changed. The root was never that deep. And I think this is a very, very much a danger in evangelism, that often the shallow evangelism that just preaches the good things and doesn't talk about the cost of following Jesus, I think that can so easily lead to this false sense of, yes, I follow Jesus when he's good to me when things are easy. Ever wonder why some churches never preach the difficult things? I mean, you see people talk about it. Oh, that church, they never preach on hell. That pastor never talks about difficult things. That pastor never talks about, about what it means to die to yourself. They only preach about how blessed we are as Christians. It's no wonder because all these people start leaving when you start preaching hard things. These people are gone because they see that, wow, being a Christian is difficult. Persecution's coming. What is that? They're not changed by the gospel. They hear it. They can probably tell you what the gospel is, but they don't understand. I thought this quote was really good. It says, If a person's profession of Christ does not involve a deep conviction of sin, a genuine sense of lostness, a strong desire for the Lord to cleanse and purify, a hunger and thirsting for righteousness and a love of His Word, along with a genuine willingness to suffer for His name, then there's no root to His spiritual life, and it will only be a matter of time before His religious house falls. If this is you... I pray that it be so much more than just what you do on a Sunday. I pray that it, you would know that God doesn't just want you to come to church. He doesn't want you to just be good. He doesn't want you to come here because you think you should. But that God wants to change you in a way that you are radically changed. That you, that you are changed by the gospel, shaped by the gospel. And be drawn closer and closer to him. It is only when it's rooted to this level when this, you start seeing the spiritual fruit that we're going to start talking about that there's evidence of a change, that you've been changed by the gospel. 22. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfaithful, unfruitful. Sorry. This person says the right things, does the right things. The seed's there. But they're more concerned with other things. They're more concerned with what the world offers. They're more concerned with their, the money they have. They're more concerned with the job they have. They're more concerned with the friends they have, the family they have. Anything that they have or can possibly obtain by themselves, they're more concerned with that than they are with Jesus. 
mentioned earlier, you can't hold on to both. You can't hold on to both. There's tons of examples of this. There's tons of places we could go in Scripture to say, don't hang on to the other things in the world because they're worthless. I'm going to read two. 1 Timothy 6.10 For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Not money, but the, the, the love of money. And it's caused some to wander away because they were clinging on to the world more than Jesus. 1 John 2, 15-17 Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desire of the flesh and the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away with its desires. But whoever does the will of the Father abides forever. You can't hold on to both. Because if you notice in this parable, the seed grows, the thorns grow. The thorns are what chokes out the seed. It's not vice versa. If, this is, if that's even something you're wrestling with, let it, let it go. You can't, have, you, can't, you can't love your job. You can't love the money you have. No matter how much money you have, you cannot love that more than you love Jesus. You can't cling to that. You can't view that as more important than Jesus. It, does, it just doesn't work. Verse 23. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and another thirty. Notice that although the other two examples seemingly believed for a time, they were not changed. When, when other things came in, their faith was choked out. Their, they chased the things of the world. The spiritual fruit that is within inside of us is something that we don't muster up ourselves. It's, again, not something we do. It's a work that God does within us. I listened to a sermon from the Village Church like two weeks ago, and one thing they were, they were talking about was that when we're squeezed, whatever is on the inside will come out. Figuratively, literally, however you want to look at that. But... Whatever's on the inside will come out. As a Christian, when you're squeezed, when awful things happen, patience comes out, joy comes out. When people hate you, what comes out? Love, kindness, whatever that be. Because your fruit is evident. Your faith is evidenced by the fruit. But it's only the people that the root was deep that had the fruit. It's only the people that, that, that had a deep faith. That they didn't just do that themselves, but that God had, had gone so deep in their heart and changed them. Some people, their fruit is so evident. So evident. 
There's a guy that I work with a lot in China, an older guy. I've told Brenna, I've told various people, like, I've never seen Jesus face to face, but he was the closest thing I'd ever seen. To see the way he loved, to see the way that he was patient in a culture that is far from patient, to see the way that he interacted with people, to see the way that he prayed, to see the way... Absolutely phenomenal. His fruit was so evident. I never, never necessarily saw him squeeze, so to speak, with crazy difficult things, but I have no doubt what would have come out. Not a doubt in my mind. And that's the kind of heart that I long for, one that has been so changed that you just exude those spiritual fruits. But it's not something we force. It's the place where you get to say, Jesus, I have no hope to do this. No hope to do this. Show me how true the gospel is in my life. We don't do it. God does it. So I don't know which one of the, where, where you, how you hear that, if this is something like, I still don't understand that. I don't, I don't know what, what, who God is. I don't know. That gospel, that doesn't, that doesn't make sense to me. Let's talk about it. Not just me. Talk about it with someone. Talk about what is the gospel? What does that mean for my life? Why am I here? Am I in this for what the good things that I have, from, I'm going to get from being at church, from, from, from trying to serve God? What good things am I going to get? That, it's, it's not about us. It's so much about Jesus. Let's pray. God, we, we are utterly hopeless without you. We are so far from good. We are so far from even being able to make the right choices. We fail time and time again. Just as Paul says, that I continue to do the things I don't want to do. I want to do the right things, but I'm unable Father God, I just pray that you would change us. That we would just say, I can't do this. I can't do this. But you can. That we want more than just change in action, but we would want to change our heart. Father, I, I pray that you would just open hearts to believe this for the very first time. I have no idea where everyone in this room is. But Father, I pray that would just change, change hearts, change attitudes, cause us to see how good you are and how valuable you are and how much nothing else in this world compares. God, do a work within us. Allow us to see that we should let everything else go.